This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, one of your co-hosts, Nick Stevens, my co-host. Good morning, Nick. Don, my my head is still spinning after week three. So much that I forgot to turn my microphone on. It Was that or was that? I noticed that, that yes. <laughs> yeah, I said that. Was that or was that not one of the strangest strangest yes. NFL Sundays? As I, as I put it in snap judgment, it was that week, happens every year. When the NFL stopped making sense, it, yep. was, it just, I mean. I had talking heads. I had David Byrne's right. voice in my head over and over and over. Stop making sense. We should have known right from Jump Street, and I think we called it. I think we may have even said in last week's episode that we thought Cleveland was going to win. Yes. I was loud and proud about it all week on the pod, on social media. Baker, the touchdown maker. That was fun. That was. was the uh, the that was you a, a Jets Browns game was entertaining on Thursday night a Thursday night football and b a Jets Browns game was entertaining. Everyone knows what a honk and walk I am for my beloved Patriots. I was audibly rooting out loud yeah. for the Browns. I you because Mayfield's my boy. And he in those, came in that game in and, those color rush uniforms. If they don't get a UPS commercial out of this, they are missing the boat. The Browns were actually they were more than watchable. They were fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, everything from late second quarter on, and I'm sorry, Tyrod Taylor had to, somebody had to be, um, had, some, had to exit the premises to get Baker Mayfield on the field, but it changed everything. Um, a- everything, not just in that game, but for a franchise, I believe, in the NFL, because the Browns are going to quickly exit the laughing stock bucket that they've been, the laughing stockade, if you will, yep. that they've been in for years. I'm on my, uh, I'm on my Browns bandwagon. I said early on they have a shot to flirt with. 500 that looked a little silly early but i think uh what one one and one is perfectly 500 right got it defense looks good denzel ward's playing well miles garrett is now the the pass rusher du jour in the nfl antonio callaway is a draft steal hides a real deal they got chubb behind him and bless him is open every other play (laughs) bless him all right, we're doing something a little different today. I wanted to let you know we're going to have Matt Hasselbeck of ESPN, obviously former longtime NFL quarterback turned analyst, as our guest on the Cover 2 podcast. But we also have a little extra content for you today. We did a special Cover 2 episode just talking with Ian O'Connor, the ESPN.com columnist who has written the new book, Belichick. And if you haven't heard about it, it is an exhaustive, uh, what, 430-some page look at the Patriots' head coach from early on to today, and it is out just yesterday on Tuesday. It's a great conversation with Ian. Nick and I were uh, both, we could have kept him on the phone another 30 minutes, I think, Uh, but we cut that out as a separate Cover 2 podcast, so look for that. Uh, Ian's going to be in Boston all day doing uh, book-related duties, including a signing tonight at the Brookline Booksmith in Coolidge Corner. There are a lot of Patriots books. You need to buy Five Rings by my pal Jerry Thornton, and you need to get your hands on Belichick by Ian O'Connor. Right. Uh, 
Well, let's quickly dive into week three, and obviously the big topic around here is what happened Sunday night in Detroit. Where, uh, Since you are a resident Patriots fan, Nick, where are you on the panic scale today as of Wednesday morning? Um, I'm officially anxious. I'm not nervous, and I'm not in full-blown Foxborough panic, but I'm anxious. I've seen... I've seen Fire 2014. <laughs> I've been we've all we've all been on to Kansas City. We've replayed the Patriots. They're not good anymore. We've done our Dilfers. We remember them getting their socks blown off in 2003 in the Lawyer Malloy game. But there's something here that's just a little different, and I think it's the combination of the brutal and dysfunctional offseason, which we address in the interview with Ian, and realizing that we've all watched enough football now to understand this may not just be an extended preseason. This may not be, quote-unquote, a feel-out and getting up to speed. There may be a little talent deficit yeah. in Foxborough that given the way the other teams that have drafted earlier and made the draft picks cash in, the Pats, no matter how good Gronk is, no matter how goat Brady is, they may not be able to overcome. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's obvious. I think it's more than a little bit. Now, I think Julian Edelman is going to help. Maybe ton, maybe they get Josh Gordon, something out of them. But when I watched them, they don't have any answers in the passing game right now, and that has never been the case, really, for the Patriots. And when it has been, they've lost and lost badly. They don't know what they do well in the passing game, and everything starts with that, with Brady being able to make plays when he absolutely needs them. He doesn't have anybody that fills that bill right now, and they're blanketing Gronk pretty successfully. Why wouldn't you? Wouldn't you double Gronk every play and then just say, go ahead, beat me with Hogan, Patterson, and Dorsett? Wouldn't you admit that it'd be pretty handy right now to have, uh, oh, I don't know, Danny Amendola, who they're going to see across the field? I, I can't Sunday? tell you how many times people shamed me in, online and told me, oh, Belichick's not going to pay him that much money. But th the smartest thing Amendola could have done was he took all those he took all the pay cuts until he decided after the incredible postseason he had you know what i'm actually worth more than this and he should have been to the patriots as well because in anticipation of the jaguars game i watched a lot of afc championship highlights they're not going anywhere without danny amendola in that game and even though Dion lewis is the one that fumbled and we all still think that miles jack may not have been down on that play they didn't need to let Dion lewis go either because they didn't get crazy money elsewhere and I still think Sony Michelle is going to be a dynamite NFL player. But he's an extended preseason. And to put this on his shoulders and have idiots on talk radio Tony in Boston. Yeah, it's the stupidest thing I've ever <laughs> He sucks, Mike. He sucks. He's awful. He no, he doesn't. After this kid is a this kid is a world class talent. I do a column called Snap Judgments, and that was hasty. For my, oh, for my taste. Oh, lava that. takes. Party of one. Your regrettable radio is waiting for you. Anyway, um, look, I'm doing a, a weekly column now for the Athletic Boston called Who Are Those Guys? And it's a right. look at the Patriots' opponent. So I dove into the Dolphins a little bit this week. First of all, uh, I want to hit you with this stat. I'm kind of proud of this research, and I, I did mm -hmm. ask you about it uh, using your institutional Patriots memory. This, If my research is correct, and I believe it is, Miami has a two-game lead over New England in the standings for the first time since, drumroll please, week eight of the 2002 season. That is 16, almost 16 years ago. They were 5-2, and two, the Dolphins were that year, started. The Patriots were 3-4, and four, having started 3-0, and oh, lost four in a row. That is the last time 
that New England looked up in the standings and saw Miami two games ahead of them. That was the Fiedler and Ricky Williams squad. And then again in 08, the Dolphins actually did win the AFC East, the Wildcat year. I'm glad you brought that up. Yep, that was the, again, Chad Pennington and uh, Ronnie Brown well, led Dolphins. So that, the anniversary, the 10th anniversary of the Wildcat game was last Friday, the uh, 21st of yeah, September. I, sorry, I got blackout drunk last Friday. I and couldn't remember it. I am doing another story that I'm actually going to be writing today, a look back at that Wildcat game. It was week three of 2008. To set the stage, the Pats were 2-0, and mm-hmm. hadn't lost a regular season game since 06. The Dolphins were 0-2 and desperate under first-year coach Tony Sperano. And the Patriots were coming off of a very boring but very football, I think it was like a 16-10 or 16-13 win week two against the Jets, where they ran the ball all day. So I, what I did is I talked to some principals on both sides. First of all, uh, you, you have to have some Patriots defenders because there I was interested, like, what was it like to be a Patriots defender that day, to have really no clue what was going on, what you were seeing, how to stop it. Rodney Harrison was tremendous. G- Gerard Mayo, Mayo was great. I don't want to kill my story before I even written it, but please look for that. And then I also talked to Chad Pennington and Ronnie Brown on the Dolphins side. I think it's going to be a fun read. But anyway, so here we are in week four. Here come the Dolphins at 3-0. Who look good. They look good. I, you know, again, I don't think they're world beaters, but they're they, a ten point deficit at home in the second half against the Raiders. They came back. They're, a lot of little trickeration, as they like to say. Little trickeration, a lot of trickeration. And by the way, how many different versions of the Philly special from college to the NFL am I going to say? I've seen, I've seen the Brownie special. I've seen the Miami special. Yeah. Uh, I've seen that. Was it the 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 uh, Illy special, the Illini special in college last weekend? Like we get it. If there's going to be a pitch, they're going to throw it to the quarterback. If they're going to throw, well, they didn't throw. throw I mean, the Dolphins did not throw to the quarterback. Adam Gase, their coach, said that that's an old Mike Martz play ripped right out of his playbook, straight thievery. He called it. And what they did was it went Tannehill to Gore. Gore flipped to Albert Wilson. Albert Wilson uh, hit Jakeem Grant down the uh, right sideline for that touchdown. That's right. Jakeem so, Grant scored on the Patriots last year, Burn Butler. So right. that, that there's one of the many names that Pats fans and I'm sure Brian Flores and Bill Belichick have on their radar this week. As a Patriots fan, I can tell you nothing, and I mean nothing, would hurt more than not only the Dolphins coming in and winning this week, but if Danny Amendola has anything to do with this defeat, uh, open ooh, open wound, ooh, poor salt. Oh, yeah. How about Xavier Howard, who picked off Tom Brady, you remember, on twice in that same twice game? Twice in that Monday night game. He had two more interceptions Sunday against the Raiders. He has three in three games. Kid looks good. Yeah, he, he looks real good. Looks like a number one corner. And then some. I, I talked to uh, Joe Rose, who is a color analyst for the Dolphins, former to, uh, tight end in Miami. He said he, he's a frontline guy. He, he thought he was good before. Now he knows he's good. Yeah. So, and um, they've got Minka Fitzpatrick back there as well, who's playing some excellent ball, the rookie out of Alabama. Miami's, they're not a, this, like you said, they're no world beaters, but this is a sound football team. Yeah. And they, and they got a little bit, you know, they went looking for locker room chemistry, better culture. They got rid of the, uh, Mike Pouncey, mm-hmm. Adamic and Sue. Mm-hmm. Jarvis Landy, Landry, Jar- Landry him. doesn't seem. Bless him, doesn't seem to be. Well, apparently, he wasn't part of the uh, solution in Miami. Well, they, they were losing was, though, too. So, and now he's of part problem. of something. Now he's part of the equation. He's part of the solution in Cleveland. Nevertheless, the only thing 
that could be working in the Patriots' favor because you can't just say, like, oh, they've lost two in a row. Well, they'd had an embarrassing loss heading into Detroit, and they should have been able to win that game, too, because all the stats were on their side. Right. I hate to say it, but the fact that the injury bug bit the Dolphins so hard last Sunday may be one of the things playing in the favor of the Patriots Sunday. Well, that's a nice segue into our next topic because, obviously, uh, William Hayes, the defensive end, I believe, from Miami, blew out his ACL, and Adam Gase, the Dolphins coach, said he did so in part because his foot got caught when he tried to not land with his body weight, a a key 2018 phrase. He tried not to Clay Matthews. Right. Tried not to Clay Matthews, Derek Carr, and ended up blowing his ACL out and is gone for the year. So there you go. That is the law of unintended consequences uh, that bites the NFL in the butt with the roughing the passer rule. And we, I want to take five minutes and talk about this because I think I know where this whole thing is headed predictably. But with the NFL, it's a bad look when the NFL says quarterbacks are to be protected at all costs above everything else. Ah, but if other players get hurt in in the process of protecting quarterbacks, that's okay. That's not that's not remotely what the NFL was bargaining for. But now that's the PR, of course, that they're stuck with. Yeah, we every it's like every year we need a new gate, and then we also need to question what is a like. It's a fun new game we play in the NFL called "What is a blank?" Right. A couple of years ago, it's "What is a catch?" Then it was "What is a tackle?" And now is "What is roughing the passer?" Well, it it is ironic because this was the rule. Um, that it was just a point of emphasis. They didn't even pass new rule per se. They just said, you know, we we're, we don't want you landing with your body weight. And now it's turned into this. Look, we all know the outcry that has already happened the first three weeks. We know Clay Matthews' sack in week two against Kirk Cousins was kind of the tipping point. I thought what Mike Pereira came out and said the other day um, was really smart. He believes... There's already a lot of talk among competition committee members, and those that's the rules-making c- committee in the NFL hierarchy. They're uncomfortable with where, how far the refs have taken this and how far overdone or overcompensating it has been. Right. So there's already discussions planned next week, conference call, and Pereira basically said don't be surprised if they get on that call and tell – the league office tells, or the competition committee tells the league office, you got to scale this back. We did not intend for the Clay Matthews sack to be over the line. And I think we're going to see less of these calls in the in the coming two to three weeks, and the furor is going to die down. But again, self-created uh, problem for the NFL. Yeah. I, like the, the problem is, again, I hate to say it, I'm going to put a little bit of the blame on the doorstep of the refs. I think the refs are now officiating out of fear. I think the referees they're the referees are calling games the way I feel like the Patriots are playing. They're in their heads. They're not just react they're not reacting logically. They're not playing. They're not just officiating. They're they're overthinking these calls. Did your eyes tell you that that looked like a, a malicious sack? Was there an intent to injure there? Yeah, no, true. it was a clean wrap tackle. He leaned his body away, only put his left shoulder in. As a matter of fact, it's probably 99% of all high school and college coaches who'd want to show you that and say, boys, that's how you wrap, that's how you tackle, that is how you put a sack. The problem is 
they don't have an example of what they're supposed to what are the defenders supposed to do from physics they can't show players this is how you launch your body at somebody in order to take a quarterback down but then oh roll off in midair so right. that you don't land them. they can't show the defender that and the problem with this whole effort is it in theory it's great that they want to protect the marquee players in the league so ratings don't go down and teams don't have to have a season cut short but you can't tell the defender how exactly it's supposed to happen. You heard Terry McCauley mm-hmm. last week, NBC yep. rules analyst. He said these guys are making the calls that the league wants them to make. It might be in their head, but they're taking it too far because they're getting pressure from Al Riveron's office to make these calls. Oh, it's just it's a mess. so. It's, it's, but I, I hate to say it, but as somebody who enjoys sitting down in front of their television at home or insert sports bar here and watching the game and hoping that whenever you're not watching your favorite team between Red Zone and wherever else you're looking for fantasy updates and info, you're going to get at least a, a reasonably played game or something that makes sense. Yeah. It's, how much further does the NFL want to push the average fan to the point where they throw up their hands and just say, like, I can't watch anymore? I, I think they understand. They have to have a feel for that. They understand with as many voices now chiming in. Right. You know, Mike Tomlin said, I can't imagine this is a good game to watch, meaning the Monday night Steelers-Bucks game with all the penalties. There were three more roughing the passer calls in that one. Ben Roethlisberger said this can't be, you know, playing well at home with the football fan. They don't tune in to watch flags being... Twelve penalties on the Steelers. Right. And that's, I mean, that's that turns into a longer game and sloppy football. Um, Right. I think the league is going to address this in the next couple weeks. I think we'll have... We'll have this kind of go of the way of the lowering the helmet rule between weeks two and three of the preseason when we saw that noticeable drop. And we Mm -hmm. start to see hits that are truly where a guy goes out of his way to pile drive the quarterback flagged and traditional sacks that have always been a sack kind of allowed once again in the NFL. But the problem is, if you're the Green Bay Packers, you didn't win that game against Minnesota because of that call. So you've already got the tie on your record. Right. Uh, and that ain't going away, even if they tighten up the jurisdiction of this call. Well, the, Minnesota's kicking kind of kept them in the game as well. Yeah. Yeah. That, but, was, that was rough. I mean, as people keep saying, you know, game, Troy Aikman came out and said, games are being decided by these calls. Mm-hmm. And so to course correction in week four or five, um, fine, but – that doesn't change the reality of how how these calls affected the season already. So. No, it's a it's it's I I I'm, I can I can sit outside my football frustrations with the team in Foxborough and tell you just general game fan. The it's like it's annoying. It's annoying. It's gotten yeah. to the point now where where fans are being annoyed by the game, and I feel like the threshold the the how much more they can ask of us is getting thinner and thinner by the week. Yeah. I think the saddest story of the week was Jimmy Garoppolo's ACL injury because, mm. I mean, look, I didn't have the Niners going to the playoffs, but it was going to be fun to watch. I thought they were going to be a better team in the second half. It's going to be fun to watch that Niners season unfold. Feels right. over. I'm sorry. You, you you already lost Jarek McKinnon, your number one weapon offensively other than Garoppolo, and now Garoppolo's out. And One of the eight divisions in football has been clinched. It's it, over. It, it feels that way, right? Oh, yeah. Nobody's catching the Rams. No. Um, the Seahawks, they, uh, Josh Rosen coming in, Rose, Rosen ball, yeah. Rosen time, yeah. no. 
That's that's, a- that's that's wrapped up. That is done. The 49ers, they'll be lucky if they win five games. They moved on from C.J. Beathard earlier than they wanted to because that w- the team was so lifeless last year. One and nine with him yep. as a starter. Richard Sherman goes out. He's got a calf injury. He'll be out several weeks. Wouldn't be surprised if he kind of dogs it now just so he can recover and save some miles on the tires for next year when Jimmy's back. Garoppolo will be lucky if he's in week one next year. Jarek McKinnon is out. Matt Breda and Albert Morris will probably just take an, a merciless pounding now because they're going to run the ball so much more. Like this, that went south fast. Yeah, and everyone's blaming the porn star. It's the curse of Ciara Mia. <laughs> oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he should have gone out of bounds. I'm sorry. Of course he should have. Yeah, that there, was a dumb move. Was dumb move. Um, I'm glad you brought up Josh Rosen because here we are, the end of September, and all four rookie quarterbacks, the top four anyway. Yep. Um, in the top 10, are going to be starting. Why don't we ever learn that despite the bridge quarterback acquisitions year after year, the bridges are getting short? But that, but that, that was an expensive bridge they built in Arizona. Yep. 10, Ten million guaranteed, 20 overall. I think they can cut him and, and lose a lot of that. I really do. Yeah. Um, and but, Tyrod but, Taylor but, but Bradford's a good back. Bradford's a good backup, and Tyrod Taylor's it, a good backup. You already have Mike Glennon. Uh, Bradford is redundant at this point for the money oh, yeah. you're giving him. You have Mike Glennon. You can in uh, Arizona. In Arizona, right. I mean that's your if the plane goes down, quarterback. So mm-hmm. I I don't think Bradford's going to make the year in Arizona. I'd be surprised, it, it, and they might even try to trade him. Sure, he's been he's been dealt before. Now, what about somebody was saying? Uh, I read Sunday on Twitter. Somebody was saying uh, I thought this was pretty astute as well. Imagine if the Jets were still holding on to Teddy Bridgewater how much the 49ers would have been willing to offer at this point. Good point. That's an excellent point. Probably could have gotten more well, than why a third can't they call point. the They could call the Saints. Call the Saints them. up. They could. Right? They could. Yeah, but with the season the Saints are having, I think Teddy Bridgewater, now given how many quarterbacks have gotten dinged up, is more valuable in New Orleans. It sounds like... Boy, Drew Brees had a game Sunday. Kyle Shanahan definitely has an idea of the kind of quarterback he wants, and he's already shot down the Kaepernick... Uh, talk because he said he just is not a fit for his offense. Right. Uh, how, how much of a story would that be <laughs> if they oh would have went gosh. out and re- yeah. re-signed Kaepernick? Uh, let me ask you this: You've watched enough football, and especially since I focus on tend to focus on the Patriots more than any other team. Tend to uh, the, the tendencies, yeah. Scouting report says so. What the hell happened in Minnesota Sunday? Yeah, I don't know. I honestly. 17-point favorite loses by 21. It's not even the, the line. I mean, just take where those two teams were in terms of Buffalo look, looking like they were a two-win team, looking like they had mm-hmm. nothing going for them, mm-hmm. and then to go in there and dominate in the first quarter and, what was it, 24 nothing at one point. Mm-hmm. Josh Allen decides, you know, he's going he's gonna to leave earth and just hover Hurdling above. Hurdling people, oh, five, six feet of, yeah, like looking first like he, Edwin Moses first, with a football in his hand. First he dove to the goal line. And and launched himself from five yards out. Then he hurdled. Uh, who was it? It was uh, the bar, Anthony Barr. Yeah. Um, the and then later, far, uh, later he there. dove over, crossed the plane, and scored a touchdown with the ball mm-hmm. again. So, Did a classic Brady where you jump up, put, extend the ball over the line, and pull it back. He'll learn though. He yeah. can't hurdle linebackers. No. And they have a tastyish matchup this week as they make their way into Green Bay, who's uh, seeded a couple of points to a few teams on the season. But I'll save that for the week four but preview. Isn't that what holds? Isn't that how the NFL holds us in its thrall with games like Buffalo, Minnesota? Of course. I mean, the biggest upset since 1995 via point spread uh, gap, mm-hmm. and we did not see. No one saw that coming. Don, that's why you got to you got to join me and the rest of the deep state. We understand there's there's. There's this is scripted. 
There is a deep state. Huh? There is, yeah, this is the Illuminati's running the NFL, man. Okay. I, uh, wow, look at the time. i got to go. <laughs> um, there were so many weird games. I mean, it, you know, it, the Titans 9, Jags 6, oh. a week after the Jags take the wow. pass apart. Week, week 2 Super Bowl hangover, party of one, your three-point loss at home is ready. I'm telling you. Really? I mean, Marcus Mariota, he is one tough Hawaiian. Mm-hmm. Or, is he? Yeah, he's Hawaiian. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, that kid's tough, and he gutted it out. He can't even feel all his uh, fingers. Right. And How does Jacksonville not score, though? I don't know. Maybe they're not ready. Maybe they... I wanted to see, okay, you had your Super Bowl in week yep. two. What what do you do in week three? You're at home against a, a worse team. With Fournette back. And they couldn't do it. They're more predictable with Fournette because I they really lean are. on him too much. Yeah, it's a, it was a silver lining. They lost him for New England. Yeah, in a lot of ways it was. Yeah. I think that would have been a gra- drastically different outcome. And then the Packers lose at Washington. Didn't see that happening. In a lopsided, that game was never close. No. Adrian Peterson did the good week, bad week. Oh, it's good week. And, and like, tore through the middle of that Packers defense. Now they've lost Muhammad Wilkerson. Um, it's not uh, it's not going the way I thought it would go Mm-mm. for my Super Bowl pick um, in Green Bay. And it's also not going the way that I thought it would go with one of my wild card picks because the Texans are 0-3 and are now in the midst of a recovering quarterback, possible head coach, Firing shame spiral. Yeah. All right. Now, as promised, our guest today on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Once again, third time, I believe, Matt Hasselbeck of ESPN has been our guest. Good morning, Matt. Where are you? What's up, guys? How you doing? Great. Appreciate the time today. Um, we were just discussing what a weird week three it was, but I want to get your thoughts right off the bat. Uh, my sense is, listening to the likes of Mike Pereira, the, the Fox Rules Analyst, and others, who say that there are competition committee members starting to get uncomfortable with where the league has taken the roughing the passer rule. He believes there'll be conversations in the next week, competition committee conference call, and you're going to see this thing moderated as we did the lowering the helmet rule. Is it your sense, maybe give this two more weeks and see if if the league has, has again, reeled itself in um, and, and won't go as far? Yeah, well, a hundred percent. And you know how they seem to legislate a lot of this stuff is they wait and see what the reaction is. They're very reactionary. So, what are they talking about on talk radio? What are they talking about on NFL shows, uh, these national shows? And if it becomes something that dominates the headlines, uh, they do adjust. You know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's probably a good thing, but sometimes uh, the interpretation of the rules isn't quite what they're looking for when it goes from competition committee and then to Al Riveron's group when it gets enforced. I, I think the the gap is, and again, they don't know how to explain to a defender what what they're supposed to do physically to not transfer that weight to a quarterback. I mean, you and, can and listen, I, but I, I think I think I hear people say that I, it's not their job. It's not the job of the officials. Like, say Al Riveron came and visited us at ESPN. And, you know, we've got coaches in the room. We've got John Fox. We've got, um, you know, Rex Ryan. We've got these defensive coaches. And there's, that's exactly what they said. You know, Lewis Riddick, a defensive player. It, my thing is, it's not their job. It's not Al Riveron's job to tell you how to coach it. It's not really his job. That, that, that's not he, – he is just the – you know, he's the paper boy, and the, the competition committee is the editor of the paper. Like, you're complaining to the paper boy about what the competition – competition committee is asking them to do and so i don't fault al riveron for not being able to explain how coaches need to coach it 
I, I really don't. That's not the issue. To me, the biggest issue here is that for years in the NFL, defensive coaches have coached players how to injure quarterbacks. They talk about, hey, make sure you don't let go of their arms when you take them to the ground and bury them with your full body weight so that you can separate their shoulder, separate their AC joint, their clavicle, their collarbone. This is how coaches talked in the NFL for so long. They'd pick that quarterback that you hurt in the game. They'd put his jersey up in the team meeting room as like a trophy. And so it's really the the sins of the former coaches and former players that happened in the, you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s—that these players like Clay Matthews—they're paying the price for. So it's kind I, of—I don't, I don't, I don't blame I, I don't blame the officials in this situation. It's kind of the classic overcorrection per se. But have you been hurt that way? I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain. I, I, I kind of remember perhaps somebody doing that to you, or like a clavicle. No, I, I, no, no. Luckily, not really. But, but these are things that it's a, it's not a secret that players are told to roll up on the knees of the starting quarterbacks. Uh, there's plenty of guys that, that are, you know, big-name guys that that's happened to, that's happened to me. But, you know, I, I think if you play quarterback long enough, you're going to realize some of the tricks. You're also in the room. You know, I sit in the room and I hear the defensive coaches telling my teammates how to hurt the opposing quarterback, and I'm saying to myself, well, I'm sure their coaches are saying the same thing about me, you know. Um, and so that's what the league really wants. The league wants their star players Playing. They want Cam Newton playing. They don't want uh, Heineke from Old Dominion playing in the game. That's not what they want. They're not. They're looking for Kirk Cousins to play, not um, Trevor Simeon. They want Aaron Rodgers out there, not Deshaun Kaiser. Like that. That's at the end of the day what the league cares about most because they care about money. And so I think some of this just got lost in translation just a little bit. They're throwing flags for things that clearly aren't flags. Um, I used this analogy the other day on the on television, um, on our countdown show. NFL players now, when they go into a drug test, to so like pee in a cup, you have to get buck naked from the knees up. You got to be totally naked. And why is that? Well, that is because once upon a time, some guy came into a drug test with a whizinator and he peed with a fake, you know what? And so, like, there you go. So now the rest of us and the guys that are playing today have to get buck naked to pee in a cup. And it's the same thing. I used the example of Tony Saragusa jumping on Rich Gannon in the 2000 AFC uh, championship game. He did what he was coached to do. He tried to, like, put his whole body weight on him to get to Bobby Hoynes in that game. And he did. And the Ravens went to the Super Bowl. And so I think that's, it's things like that that has happened in the past of the NFL. And the league has seen, hey, when our star players are out, we lose money. Um, we got to fix it. But I, I think they've gone just a little too far. And that running back for everyone keeping score at home was Ontario Smith. Minnesota I didn't Vikings. Want to say it. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we're speaking with Matt Hasselbeck, uh, former NFL quarterback, uh, ESPN analyst right now on the Cover 2 podcast. Matt, you were speaking just a minute ago to the value and importance of the marquee quarterbacks playing in the NFL, and that's why people watch, and that's where the money comes from. And the future of the NFL is in this crop of rookie quarterbacks that has come out this year, and now all four of them are seeing the field. Four of them will be starting, so 12.5% of the NFL will be rookie quarterbacks starting come week four. Uh, so give us your thoughts on how they've played so far, who looks, who looks the best, and what do you think uh, is in store for the likes of a Josh Rosen come week four? Yeah, well, I, I like Josh Rosen. I, uh, I think he's not on a great team right now. That's a problem for him. Baker Mayfield's the hot guy, though. That Thursday night game, they beat the Jets, and 
you know, all of Cleveland, it was like they won the Super Bowl. It was really impressive. The game rated really well. I think he's a good player. I think he's fun to watch. Uh, you saw what Sam Darnold did week one against the Detroit Lions on the road. You know, the Jets, the Jets fans, shoot, they, they haven't had a, a quarterback that they've believed in like that in a long time. And so, you know, a, a lot of the people that I work with are from that area. They grew up Jets fans and, and, you know, the standard is set so low for them. You know, I, I sort of joke that like the guy, you know, like the girl that had a bunch of bad boyfriends and then all of a sudden they get a boyfriend who like holds the door for them. And they're like, oh my gosh, she's the one. Like you beat the Detroit Lions in a game. Like it wasn't that big of a thing, but they were ready to crown him like King of New York. And so I think it's really impressive what Sam Donald's done, but I think expectations are really high. Baker Mayfield, very impressive. Expectations are really high. Um, I don't know how this thing's going to shake out. Uh, the kid Josh Allen in Buffalo, he was outstanding against the Vikings last week. Um, you know, he doesn't have a great offensive line. How how well will he do? Will he be able to sustain that? Will he be able to stay healthy? Um, you know, Josh Rosen's got an opportunity to be in that group. And then let's not forget about Lamar Jackson. I mean, Joe Flacco's played really well, but Lamar Jackson, I think, is a guy that could come on here you know, two years from now, we're talking about this class. Maybe he's involved in that discussion as well. So I think this is a pretty darn good class. Uh, you know, you got to stay healthy, though, and you got to be with a good coaching staff. I think that's a major factor as well. Matt, I think Nick and I both agree that come season's end, I think Baker Mayfield will have probably the best numbers and, and be seen as the best of the four coming out of their rookie year. You have a gut on that? I, I can't disagree with that. I think it was a risky draft pick because of the offense that he was coming from. And, you know, he had off the field, you know, he had a, uh, a video of him trying to outrun the police. And, you know, it, it, they were looking for a sure bet thing, like a surefire thing because of how many misses that they've had. And, you know, I think that's what everyone thought they should do. And that's not what they did. That's not what John Dorsey did. He said, you know what? I, I was around Brett Favre when I was in Green Bay. Uh, you know, my friends in Kansas City drafted Patrick Mahomes, who was a little bit of a project. Uh, I believe that this is I believe that this is that guy. And he stuck to his guns and did it and it's looked great so far and I've been very impressed with Baker Mayfield, his poise, how he doesn't fall for traps and, and questions. Like, you know, they asked him the other day like about the history of the Browns quarterbacks and he just in a very Belichickian way was like, Yeah, I don't care. This I don't care. 2018. Great answer. Moving on. And and it just that's the kind of stuff that to make it in, in the NFL as a quarterback, how, how you handle the media, how you handle tough situations and tough questions, that's a huge part of it. It really is. And so uh, I've definitely been impressed. Matt, when we had you on last time, uh, the second appearance uh, you gave us last year in the 2017 season, I remember asking you about the development of Patrick Mahomes and how Andy Reid, who had been so good at developing quarterbacks, and you had experience seeing that behind the scenes in the late 90s in Green Bay, how this would pan out for him. And, and hopes were high at the end of that conversation. And now it seems like all of that has come to fruition. He's panned out way above everyone's expectations. He's on part. He's on pace to throw 69 touchdown passes. Uh, I, what's the ceiling on this kid? I don't see one. Yeah, it's been incredible. And I think it's almost uh, invigorated Andy Reid in a way. You know, I was there. Andy Reid was my quarterback coach with Brett Favre. And I was actually listening to those two guys talk to each other last night. And it's a love fest. You know, like Andy's like, no, you're the best. I love you more. <laughs> Brett's like, no, you're the best. You know, you helped me study film. You taught me everything. Um, 
And I think that's what he's got going on with Patrick Mahomes right now. And everybody believes in Mahomes. Even even the opposition believes in Mahomes. You look at how the Steelers chose to uh, play defense and call defense against Mahomes and Andy Reid. It, it was like they were scared. It was like they, they weren't the Steelers. They, they, they didn't pressure. They didn't get hands on the line of scrimmage. It was like, hey, you know what? Let's just try to hold them to 40. It was like that was their mindset. Um, and the Steelers... That's never their mindset. And so uh, I'm really impressed. Uh, I think he's got 10 touchdown passes right now. Uh, I mean, he did the last time I looked. Who knows? But I'll tell you what. The, the thing about Andy is the creativity is there. And he's running the same old plays that, you know, Joe Montana and Steve Young and Brett Favre used to run. But when you get to the running game, he's willing to try anything. And the best thing that they do is they don't block the person at the point of attack. So every other person that's getting a block, they've got incredible angles. And now the guy at the point of attack uh, who's unblocked, uh, Andy's got eye distraction or we're going to beat you with quick motion or, hey, we're going to just uh, have an audible at the line of scrimmage and I trust my young quarterback. It's uh, it, At times you feel like they're undefendable. It's, it's been fun to watch. Matt Hasselbeck, as we let you go, two quick things. I, I totally agree with you on Mahomes. I just wonder, there's September and October football, then there's November and December football, and Kansas City get cold and get windy. Can Mahomes do that type of you know electrifying offense when the weather is tough, or are we going to see a different version? And lastly, if you squinted, I thought on Sunday in Seattle, you could see the 2013 Seahawks. You could see a running game. You could see Russell Wilson making plays. You could see a defense again, Earl Thomas, two picks. Um, was that for real, or are the Seahawks going to be up and down all year? I'll start with the Seahawks. The Seahawks, it'll be for real if they can find the running back situation and figure that out. Chris Carson's the guy, uh, but they want to have a committee. I just don't think that the kid they drafted, uh, Penny, is. Um, I, don't, I, have, I haven't seen that he's the guy. I feel like they're giving him carries because they drafted him high. Uh, they got to figure out the running back situation. In terms of the weather in Kansas City, we did three of their games in Kansas City last year. The last one we did was the wild card game, cold weather, uh, I saw Patrick Mahomes saw, you know, throw in person. He was just as impressive in cold weather as he was in, uh, in August and September. So I have absolutely no fear about, uh, about him in cold weather. I do know as a, as a quarterback going to play in Kansas City late in the year, loud stadium, sloppy field, not the easiest place to play. So uh, it might just work in their favor. If they can get home field advantage with that crowd noise, the defense could use a little help. They're not as talented as they used to be, uh, but that crowd noise will help them out a lot. He is a part of the ESPN Sunday programming, as well as uh, one of the necessary follows if you're into football, quarterbacking, and more, at Hasselbeck on Twitter. The pride of Boston College, former NFL quarterback Matt Hasselbeck, has joined us on the Cover 2 podcast. Matt, the QB insight is always awesome, man. Thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Matt. All right, thanks, guys. All the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, and just like in our conversation with Ian on the Bonus Cover 2 podcast this week, Matt's a great guest. Uh, I could do another 20 minutes. I want to, you know, his insight, love to hear about Deshaun Watson, how he thinks Andrew Luck's coming aboard. But like, There's always like 17 quarterback topics. There is. I mean, this league from any given week. So that's, that, he's, that's, that's, why he's, that's why he's such an asset when we get him and why he's so great on ESPN Sunday NFL Countdown. Uh, very quickly, other than the Dolphins and your Patriots, yeah, there's not a ton. To oh, like. No, it's actually it's this, a Thursday night highlight. It's I've, I've heard this described Vikings. as uh, I've heard this described as the most apple picking NFL Sunday of the 2018 season. Yep, 
It's not a great calendar. You do have a boss Thursday night game. You do. Vikings bouncing back, or can the Rams suffocate them? Could be an NFC title game preview, even though it I did think not we thought look, it was going to be look like it last week. All right, that is a wrap for the Cover Two podcast. Uh, again, remember we did a special, some special content for you with Ian O'Connor, the author of the new Belichick book. Uh, we spun that out on its own. Look for that. And we will be back with you next week. I think we're going to switch to Tuesdays next week and drop a podcast Tuesday afternoon. So look for that in week five. Thanks for being with you. Thanks to Kevin Collins, our crack producer. For Nick Stevens, I'm Don Banks. Talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. It's and a title for the Patriots. It. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.